0: Um, transitioning to uh, a very personal moment in in the book of Galatians. Uh, the Apostle Paul is sharing his um, a bit of his autobiography, a bit of it. And so this morning we're going to look there at Galatians chapter 1, uh, 11 through 24. If you have your Bibles, uh, it'd be great to have them out, or the worship folder will have the scripture for you there. Um, we've uh, begun a series on the book of Galatians. Uh, we are Entitling it "The Rediscovery of Joy," rediscovery of joy. And uh, we're exploring uh, Paul's love for the Galatians this morning that he intended to share his heart with them and his very life with them in order to win them. Um, I follow a, a blog, um, and uh, the writer of this blog uh, wrote this uh, piece fairly recently. And the blog goes like this. Its the title says no one on the Internet is living the life you think they are. Um, and uh, he's, he's making a mention about social media, about how we want to present ourselves as, uh, as having this perfect kind of life. Uh, usually the pictures that were posted uh, on our social media um, represent happiness, and that's good. Uh, but the author goes on to say this. He says, social media is really anything digi- or anything digital is set up to be a near constant stream of editorialized data that means we pick we pick which bytes and uh, bits and bytes we share in doing so we only sh- we're only showing a curated view of ourselves with the world yes that editorial can be honest and real but it's only a piece of our lives I don't know if that resonates with you, but as we think about the the life that we are portraying uh, in our social media, um, I think there's some truth there that we uh, are often trying to present an editorialized uh, view of ourselves. Uh, And uh, this morning I want to explore um, what it would be like to live uh, much more freely uh, and much more honestly Honestly, uh, I'm, not in, I'm not indicating that we had post everything about our lives on social media. But I'm curious about this text as to why the Apostle Paul is so open with the Galatians and so vulnerable and so honest with them about his own story. And so this is one of these portions in the Bible, and particularly in Galatians, that we might just skim over if we were reading this on our own. You might be, typically, you might just kind of read it and go, oh, that's interesting, he's telling his story about his life and some of the things that he did. But it's actually, there's a very, very very deep purpose to why Paul is sharing these things to the Galatians. But I'm wondering today how many of us uh, feel sort of the pressure to present ourselves in a certain way, that we are sort of making the right decisions, we've had the right education, We've made uh, progress in perhaps the American dream. Uh, We're sort of living the life. Um, We want to be seen in a certain way. Uh, Saul of Tarsus is uh, the man who becomes Paul. And Saul of Tarsus is a train wreck of a person. And he is okay with that because God's grace was evident in his life, and he's he's not embarrassed about that. And I want to propose to all of us, if you're a Christian here today, uh, I want you to think carefully about how you are presenting yourself uh, as you interact with people. Um, I want you to think carefully about the story that you are presenting, uh, the way you live, the words you use. Um, I, want you to, I want you to think about that as you kind of keep that in, behind, in, the, in, the, in the background as we look at this text this morning. We'll come back to that. Um, God, for Paul, is the editor of his life. Uh, God comes and he edits for the Apostle Paul um, his, his life, and he, he makes it go in a direction that is beautiful, redemptive, and gracious. And so with those thoughts in mind, let's pray, let's pray and ask God to be with us today in this message. Father... Um, I've been thinking a lot about the many, many experiences people can have on on this island, and they're underway right now. Uh, And there's nothing that could compare to the the grace of the gospel. Nothing could be more fulfilling. Nothing could be more filling. Nothing could be more um, beautiful than to experience more of your love and to realize your love and to feel your love and to want your love. Uh, nothing could be more important. And I, I pray, Lord, in, this, in these moments you will, in a supernatural way, speak uh, as we consider the word of God this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Lenya, I'm going to move over to the, uh, the big pulpit here, so here we go. Um, so, God edits the Apostle Paul's life, and Paul is really, really glad for that. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is his sort of this short autobiographical section that starts in Galatians 1.11. And what Paul is endeavoring to do for the Galatians is he's endeavoring to tell them about where he got his gospel, how he received the gospel, and the gospel has no legalisms in it. The gospel is God's delivery from the realm of sin and darkness by sheer grace alone. So this is for the good joy of the Galatians that he's sharing his story of his conversion and what he did just on the other side of his conversion. What was it like for him? So again, this is an often overlooked passage in, uh, in the scriptures uh, particularly in Galatians. It's sort of like this place where we don't really think there's a lot in there, but there's actually quite a, it's actually quite a profound passage. Again, we looked last week briefly at the idea that the Galatians uh, had been receiving teachers, instructors, who had corrupted the gospel. The gospel is, uh, has no additional uh, work on our behalf, so it's not Jesus plus this equals acceptance with God. So the gospel can be easily corrupted by what's called legalism. Uh, legalism creeps into the church uh, in various ways, various forms. Uh, can be subtle and can be overt. Um, a good Christian does this, right? Um, well, uh, in, in a sense, there are no good Christians. Start there. Uh, Romans 3 tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. And so the idea of, like, uh, of, of, uh, of what it looks like to be a Christian uh, is really quite a question mark. Um, what does it look like to be a Christian in Turkey, the country of Turkey? What does it look like to be a Christian in Cambodia? What does it look like to be a Christian in Honolulu? Or All those things are, are those cultural expressions, et cetera. So, uh, but legalism can creep into a church, uh, and I'm sure we have our own. It's possible we, we could be blinded to it. Legalisms can creep into a church very, very easily. This... Jesus is certainly important, but this really makes you okay. Listen to that. This, Jesus is certainly important. You couldn't get into heaven without Jesus. Absolutely. But, and there's always this but, and it can be overt or it can be covert. For instance, like, let's, let's, say I, let's say in my sermons I went on and on and on about the English Standard Version the Bible. I just went on and on and on. I did blog posts and I did website postings and emails to you. The English Standard Version what would you get from me? You would get a covert, perhaps an overt effort at some sort of legalism. Now, I would be the only pastor in the world who would ever make a big deal about translation. Is that right? Yeah, there's one that's like just centuries old that is somehow, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it was you know, the old King Jimmy, right? And some of us, so you may drive by certain churches and they tell us that they're a King James Bible church, right? Wow, okay. Um, okay, so if you have a new international version of the Bible, you have the Bible. If you have an English Standard Version, you have the Bible. If you have a King James Version, you have the Bible. Uh, a beautiful poetic Bible, right? So you should have confidence that, to know that you have your Bible. But... We we tend there's just this something about us that Jesus is okay, but this really makes us okay, right? Um, And uh, it's just kind of it's just kind of funny how we are, Um, you know. You know, like if I show up at a pastor's lunch, you know, like this is this Bible, this is I have this down my study, and this Bible is just way too new to show up with a bunch of pastors. I mean, this should be on my my dashboard of my car. Should have a lot of UVs hitting it. And uh, and should, it should look destroyed, right? And it should have all kinds of markings in it, and look super spiritual. Does that make sense? So Jesus plus a really really worn out Bible makes you okay. Does that make sense? I'm feeling lonely up here. All right. Okay. So you, this is part of the work. Part of the work of, of what we're doing in Galatians is. Like, oh, that's interesting. I have this little law. It's not quite a Ten Commandment thing. It's not quite a Mount Sinai thing. But I have this little law, and whenever we're, we're we're thinking that way Uh, we're going to be distancing ourselves from people very, very quickly, very, very quickly. Okay. So, um, uh, so that's one of the many goals of this series, but some people, some people had come in and corrupted the gospel among the Galatians. We, we call them uh, theologians nicknamed them Judaizers. So they're this unusual Jewish Christian mix and they, uh, they were sure that, that Paul had his gospel wrong. So they're accusing Paul of, of not having it right. And so one of the accusations going on here is that Paul was in process of learning the gospel. And he learned his gospel from some the apostles down in Jerusalem. But even these, they didn't quite have it right. And so you need us to help you get the gospel right and um And so he hung out with the apostles, and he got his marching orders there, but he relied heavily on instruction and methods from other people. See, Paul's just, there's nothing really special about him. He's kind of like everyone. He just borrowed a lot of his ideas. So we know all about the training that goes on in Jerusalem, and Paul got it wrong. And there are things you need to do in order to have a right standing with God. Okay? It's very, 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 very subtle. So one of the questions is, did Paul's gospel derive from others? And you see clearly, uh, verse twelve, for I w- uh, verse eleven, for I, kn- I want you to you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did verse twelve, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. You see that there's there's the there's the criticism. See, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's quite remarkable that the apostles who end up being writers of epistles, uh, they received revelation for this, and they are remarkably consistent in the revelation and the communication of the gospel. So was Paul's message derived from others? The answer is no. Uh, Was his message the result of a process or, or revelation? So did he kind of catch it and learn it and learn it? The answer is no. You can see it there in verse 12. And another verse, verse 16, that God was pleased to reveal his son. Beautiful phrase there. God was pleased to reveal his son. Notice the the personal dimension of the gospel. So was his message the result of a process or revelation? It was a revelation. And then did Paul get the gospel right through revelation? Did he really get it right? It's interesting that Paul does actually confer and interacts with people in Jerusalem. He does eventually... Uh, get to Jerusalem uh, years and years later, and he interacts with Peter and James. And so that's recorded for you in verse 18 and 19. And so he um, holds himself accountable, in a sense, to the apostles. They interchange ideas about the gospel. And uh, so the refutation is that Paul's very life and how he's conducted himself and how he's lived and what he has received is it's expressed right here in verses 11 through 20, uh, 24. So Paul has refuted these teachers because he has received the, the word of God, uh, the gospel, by, by revelation. So what we learn here is that Paul's story describes what the gospel is. Paul's story describes what the gospel is. He was a raging, angry, religious, self-righteous person. He had spent years seeking to live out his Jewish customs and lifestyle. He was religious. Religious. But this did not stop him from doing terrible things. Uh, And so... This summary really here for the Galatians is he's describing what religion does. He's describing what legalism does. You can actually make a very clear, easy case that legalism was central to the crucifixion of Jesus. <coughs> Jesus came and he, he said all of the pursuits of the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders all their, the accoutrements, all the praise, all the reputation-seeking, all that they thought they had gained going for them, even their DNA, their ethnicity, meant nothing. And he communicated that they were, they were desperate to, to rely upon him for salvation. And, and they hated him for it. They, they, they raged against him. And The moment he begins to teach clearly about this, they begin to plot to kill him. So you could make an easy case for legalism, is, it, it was the main reason for crucifying Jesus. So Paul is this religious person, but he's also moral, and he's righteous in a sense, outwardly righteous. So you, you wouldn't mind having Saul of Tarsus as this, this man. You probably wouldn't mind him to be a neighbor right, of yours. He'd probably be upright. He'd, you know, if he had uh, lawnmowers at that time. Uh, you know, he'd return the lawnmower with gas in it, you know full. And he'd, he'd be a nice guy. But he was, while he was incredibly moral and righteous, he was not good enough to be right with God. And uh, I want to appeal to any of you who are not believers here today. This is where the Christian life starts. The Christian life starts with no one has moral righteousness. No one has a a life that puts God as their debtor. No amount of religion does this. So at his heart, from his heart was flowing evil, though outwardly he was righteous and, uh, and looked moral. Tim Keller says that no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. So this is a passage uh, where Paul is showing how he was called out of religion, out of religion, Paul was deeply religious but in great need of the gospel. C.S. Lewis once said that Christianity must be from God for who else could have thought it up? Sheer grace alone. Uh, So, Paul's story describes what the gospel is. Continuing on with this, there's indicators of God's grace prior to conversion. Uh, Look at verse 15 but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Okay, so now in Reformed Presbyterian circles, we use the word grace, but we also add sovereign grace. Big grace, real grace, true grace. Sinner not cooperating grace. When God who called me We talk about irresistible call. this This is Paul reflecting, saying that in the mind of God, in the plan of God, there was already a work underway before I was born. And God was pleased to reveal, verse 16, pleased to reveal his son to me. How did that happen? Sovereignly, sovereignly. Now, this is a huge statement for Build our humility. (laughs) Uh, I stand before you as a result of God's sovereign grace in my life. I was not clever enough to figure out the gospel. I needed a new mind. I needed new. I I had. I needed. I, I couldn't figure out what to see. God gave me eyes to see. I couldn't. Didn't want to hear. God gave me ears to hear. See. So it's a huge statement about. Humility. In fact, what Paul's seeking to do with the Galatians is, as legalism creates division, Paul's seeking to tell them, I I am what I am by the grace of God, something he told the Corinthians, I am what I am by the grace of God, and so are you. And we are all brought into this extraordinary unity, and your religious activity does nothing to further your status before God. Uh, so what's exciting here is that God overrules our intentions my story is I walked into church at 19 in northern San Diego County I had no intentions of believing in Jesus that morning, no intentions of being a Christian and no intentions of being a pastor, I was just going to church to be, be polite to the people who invited me I figured I could sing some songs, stand up, sit down fight, fight, fight and, uh, and get out of there and I never recovered. And that's what happened to me. Uh, God overrules your plans, God overrules your religiosity, God overrules your intentions, and He overrules Saul's past failings in order to prepare him for his conversion. And uh, all of this uh, remarkable training, I mean, Paul, Saul of Tarsus was well-skilled in the Old Testament. He was brilliant. Um, some consider him to be a, a genius. And he had all of this remarkable training, and God was preparing him for a work to be a preacher to the Gentiles. See? Now, God, this is really actually a, quite a theme in the Bible, by the way. Um, if you're reading your Bible and you have someone who really like, clenches their fist against God like Pharaoh like Pharaoh in Egypt it's like, it's like this, man, this man with the, the, the power of an, in, the most powerful country at the time on the earth has all these chariots all these armies and, and uh, God overwhelms his heart see, where he is unable to resist the power of God see and so uh, you see in, in, in Joseph's brothers, the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers have this plan of evil. Saul of Tarsus, the book of Acts, has this plan for evil. Right? This should actually really encourage us. We, we're, I think many of us are discouraged by the things we're reading about, seeing on, uh, you know, it's just about the world condition right now, right? The story of Saul of Tarsus and his conversion, it happens in the midst of the Roman Empire, this oppressive, uh, tyrannical kingdom, and Saul of Tarsus was this religious zealot who was dangerous and was willing and eager to kill Christians. And he is knocked off his donkey on the road to Damascus. And he has a conversation. It's actually kind of a one way conversation, but he cries out, you know. And, and Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, is Saul, 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 it's hard to kick against the goads. It's, it, it's hard to resist my purposes. And this story is meant to, this real story is meant to encourage the Christians. When it seems like this oppressive, tyrannical kingdom called Rome can't be dealt with and is so powerful, it's a message to say God can change anyone's heart at any time. God overrules. It's a beautiful theme in the Bible. And so God, in the gospel, God gives us a pair of spectacles through which to review our own lives, you see, It's very important for me to continue to think about how I was opposed to the purposes of God prior to my conversion. That's very important for me. I was sort of this new age kind of uh, Southern California, coastal living kind of guy, doing my own thing. Um, And scripturally, I've been able to understand that I was not in any way lined up with the God of Scripture. Not in any way. It's very important for me to work, keep working on that. Keep thinking about that. Remember where God found me. Remember where God found me. So God gives us spectacles to see where he has brought us uh, out of and to review our lives and to see God preparing us and shaping us even through our own failures and sins to become vessels of grace to the world. See, you have been brought through a process. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been brought to grace in order to serve God's purposes. Now, let's pause for a moment and ask this question. What's helpful about Paul's conversion for us? Ask, what's, what's helpful about this? He's he giving these descriptions of his conversion? First of all, verse 15, he came to understand grace. Grace, grace, grace. Um, I don't think we can think on this too much. Um, secondly, he came to understand his purpose in life. Verse 16, he becomes a preacher to the Gentiles. Grace leads us to service. Grace Leads you to a giftedness. Christian, here today, you have been given a supernatural grace by God, a gift to serve in the church. Um, and that grace is to be functioning and working within the church, in, in your community, among your co workers at work. This is a grace to service. And uh, here's another thing about Paul's conversion. It led to solitary time with God. Verse 17, he goes off to Arabia. He's there many, many years. Uh, Solitary time with God is vitally important for each of of us this morning. Uh, Americans, in particular, love activity and accomplishment. We are not... By and large, reflective and contemplative. Uh, but I've re- been reflecting a little bit, uh, speaking on that subject, uh, about um, the the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Do you know that is the biggest bestseller among Christians? So, I don't know, it's 25 million copies, something like that. Amazing. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's more. A remarkable. What's that? Yeah, Rick Warren, yes. Uh, a remarkable uh, book about ta- that tapped into people's need for purpose. Okay. I don't agree with uh, all that's said in the book. I'm not even really even endorsing it, but here's my thought, is that there was such a frenzy about that book maybe 15 years ago. Um, and uh, it's interesting that I thought, wow, everybody wants to read about purpose. I said, that's good, that's good. But I was thinking about why it, so few lives seem to be changed by it. Why, did it. why did it just become a bestseller and then it got replaced by another bestseller? In other words, it just became yet another book in evangelical publishing history. important book, a big book. And I'm just reflecting on the idea that I wonder how many people actually expected to be fixed at the purpose level of their life by just reading that book or by attending a seminar. The Apostle Paul is telling us that his conversion included solitary time with God. No doubt he was reviewing the Scriptures. If Christ is the center of the Scriptures, then he began to see with new eyes how central Christ was in the Old Testament. Also, here's another thing for our conversion. He worked not independently, but he worked for unity. He didn't just take this revelation from God and then go off and, and be busy with it. He's quite, it's quite remarkable how much he interchanges, he interacts with the, the apostles. And you can see this not only here in, in Galatians 1, but you can also see this in Acts 15, when they're reviewing Paul's first missionary journey he is still accountable to the the church for his ministry so he is in his life he is working for unity and another one is that he his life has led others to glorify to glorify god look at the end of uh, chapter 1 They were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. So, uh, one other observation about this text, and that is that the gospel changes Paul uh, in a very remarkable way. It changes him at a core fear, one of his core fears was people. Um, his world was being rocked by early young Christians. Uh, in and in the, the church was just getting started and they were um, in love with Jesus and preaching and teaching about it, about him, about the gospel. And he was great, greatly fearful that his Judaism was going to fall apart. And he lived, though, for the approval of his fellow co-workers at that time. In other words, he expresses more and more in Galatians 1 how he is now no longer a man-pleaser. For instance, uh, he says in, uh, he says here in verse 10 of chapter 1, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he's reflecting back on his religiosity and his many legalisms and and his quest to be approved by people. And what the gospel has done is it has hammered away at a core fear, and the fear is the fear of man. And his life now through the gospel, he's now dealing with this impulse to to be fearful. And he's now a lover of people. In the words of, of Christian counselor Ed Welsh, he needs people less and he loves them more. Ultimately, some legalism is going to work in us to help us feel okay and to feel approved by someone else who might embrace your legalism as well. And when, when that gets addressed by the gospel, when you realize that your acceptance before God is by sheer grace alone, no amount of people's approval will matter any, won't matter at all, then you begin to be free from a man-pleasing pursuit in your life. And then what's remarkable is how free he is to express his need. He basically is going around to the New Testament world saying, I was a mess. I'm not hiding the fact that I persecuted the the church. He's very vulnerable and he's very free in a very appropriate way. So here's a few thoughts about testimonies in general. Uh, Testimonies are very important in, in, in the life of the church. Um, first of all, when we, when we share our testimony, we are to help others see the power of the gospel. Um, I'm sure many of us have heard testimonies that go on and on about how terrible the sin was and evil and darkness, and, and it, it tends to glorify all that without a lot of emphasis upon the power of the gospel. And it's okay in your testimony to point directly to the grace of God Um, and it's okay to pursue the weak and foolish place. Now, this might feel really, really challenging around the Thanksgiving table uh, or at some party where you're hanging out with coworkers and perhaps the subject of Christianity or you're attending church or something comes up. And um, my experience has been that that people want to give you some sort of credit for, for some, something that you're doing. That's just my experience. And, of course, I'm a minister of the gospel, and so people think there's some sort of something special about me to do that. Say? And I have to sort of discredit all that. <laughs> and so uh, I have to consciously pursue the weak place where I don't look so good. So, for instance, uh, let's say I could, uh, I guess I could brag about going to seminary or something, like graduate school, right? Uh Or you could also say, um, actually, my need was so intense, I needed someone else to teach me. In other words, uh, actually, I, what I do in the church is, is a result of God's call upon my life. It's not something I would have thought of. Um, or, yeah, God has given me a gift of teaching, but it's actually because if I didn't have the gift, I would just mess up people's lives. That make, are you tracking what I'm doing? I'm doing a little judo moves here, okay? So what I'm saying is I don't want my interaction with you around the Thanksgiving dinner for you to just think of me as, well, isn't that nice? Well, what, what a nice person you are to do that, right? No, actually, I am a rebel by nature, and I am what I am by the grace of God. Uh, is there any more mashed potatoes? <laughs> can, I? Anyway, can we? Okay. Can Does that make sense? So think about that. Think about how, when you're interacting uh, with someone who may not understand the gospel, you're, you're going to try to present in a very honest way your need for God's grace. And you want the non-Christian to begin to think, oh, that's what God's power does. God's power doesn't just improve people. God's power doesn't take religious people and just kind of make them better. God's power actually takes people out of a, a, a direction that was opposed to him and changes their heart and desire. So, uh, again, we could keep working on that, but you have a unique story. All of you have a unique story. Even if you were raised in a Christian home, and you didn't, there's not a day when you, you can think about, this would be true for our daughters, a day when you, you, can, you can't imagine not believing in Jesus. <clears throat> but you can still highlight your need for grace. See, You never were a hell's angel. Okay, got it? But you understand the heart of a rebel. You identify with that. Does that make sense? It's not a strange thing for you. And so you, could, you can share your testimony as a person who is growing to understand the grace of God. I, you, could, you could give credit to your parents. Yes, I was raised in a really nice home. My parents were believers. I really appreciate what, what I, I, it was a gift to me. I really appreciate it. But you know what I'm really learning is, and then you can share your inner heart struggle. Not, not so much your behavior out there, but the heart that still is not aligned with God's purposes and, and your need for continuing grace. You could even say something like, you know, I used to really think I was a good person. But what I'm discovering is what, what God's grace did was, and then it did this what Paul's doing here is this. This is one of the most amazing theologians who's ever walked this earth, and Galatians has a wonderful theology, and it's beautiful. What he's doing is he's putting all this theology embodied. He, he, he can wrestle, he can slam, body slam the Galatians intellectually and theologically. But He doesn't want to do that. He's going to say, this is my story. The gospel is, I am what I am because of the grace of God. I'm chasing you down because of the love of God. And uh, it's this gospel in flesh. And I think this is where I want to kind of wrap things up, and this is, this is it. Is that some of us may think that intellectual arguments are really the key to impacting other people in 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 influencing them for Christianity. And there are wonderful things to learn, apologetics, defense of the faith, lots of good things to learn. But remember it's much more than just a brain that people are interacting with. It is the whole life. It's the whole person. It's the whole person around the Thanksgiving table they're watching. And they're picking up they're picking up our our demeanor, our our attitude. What what really is centering our life. Where do you give credit in your life, you see? What, 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 what are you banking on? And what, what is the response of your whole life if you're a, a committed Christian? It's the whole of you, all aspects of your life. And so Christ not only appeals to our minds, but he fills our hearts. Obviously, one final thought is that a testimony is to be helpful to others. And uh, we want to be thoughtful about our audience and who is this person? Are they religiously trained? Are they irreligious? Have never even heard of a a Bible or never heard of Jesus? So we want to be thoughtful about our, our audience. All of us can say, along with Paul, that my conversion is a result of divine intervention. It is radical grace that has brought you into fellowship with the living God. No legalism can do this. Only radical grace. All of us want to edit our own life, right? And what it is to be a Christian is, is that to realize that God in Christ has become the best possible editor of our lives. He's taken a rebellious heart and he's, he's that was going this direction and he's put you on a, in a whole new, whole new direction and a whole new movie, uh, He's a beautiful, wonderful director, and he has beautiful purposes for you. Right now, I want you to wrestle with some legalism that may be threatening not only your joy, but your unity with other believers. It's creating a distance between you and fellow believers. Um, And I want to just exhort you to remember that Jesus died to kill that impulse in you. And I think it's It's worth remembering that Jesus came into this world. And he came in order to provide a life that we all could not live, to have the obedience under the law that we could not achieve. And he was willing to come, and essentially he said to the Father, Father, I come for sinners, that you might be able to edit their life, you see, change their life, change the direction. In order for that to happen, Jesus' life had to get the parts of our life that were edited out. He got the darkness. We got the light. He got the rebel. We got the obedience. You see, on the cross, it became dark. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, his life was being edited out in order for us to gain all of his righteousness. He came that you might see with new eyes, to hear with new ears. May grace begin to shape your testimony. Grace begin to shape the way you interact with our world and your friends and coworkers. May, May you have a rich appreciation for God who is continuing to be at work to edit your life and to keep it on the right track, the, the right resources of the, of the gospel underway, faith and repentance, always denying that we are, we've, tri- we've contributed to our salvation. He alone always gets the glory. And may many people glorify God because of what they see in you. It's very possible. It's very real. Let's pray.